welcome to this week's episode of Stephen Perkins Podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins, Editor-in-Chief here at the Outside Network, and I am joined by two people who look uh, pretty much alike, uh, Jonah and Manfred Went, How are you guys? Doing well, Stephen. Doing well. Interesting times. <laughs> I want to go ahead and thank you for having us on the show, as is uh, noted. Yeah, this is going to be, you know, Oprah has like the Oprah bump. This oh, is yeah. the Perkins yeah. bump. I need to, I need to probably just go clean up my social media now. You do, yeah, you, the, the, the things I've seen, you probably need to <laughs> clean that up a little bit. Um, so I, I guess let's let's introduce people uh, to you guys, which I've been thinking for years now how I would do that. Um, but you, you both go to Trinity University in San Antonio. We do. We okay, do. <laughs> confirmation. Um, and uh, tell, tell me about kind of what you, because I know there's a couple of different organizations mm-hmm. and, involves, and involvements there. So what are you involved in? Um, on Trinity's campus, we aren't involved with too much anymore. We're kind of handing that off. We used to do a lot of campus activism, host a lot of speakers, make a lot of people really mad, get flyers returned, get mean things said about us on Snapchat. And what was that app called? Where it was the... Yik Yak. Yik Yak. Yik Yak. Used to get a lot of Yik Yak hate. We're kind of... I'd like to say I'm retired now. <laughs> You've retired from... I'd like from, to say I'm retired from yeah. campus activism. I've passed it off to Luke Ayers, and now I'm kind of ma- doing a lot more managing, making sure they're doing what they need to do. And trying to see if we can take what we did at Trinity and help bring that to other campuses through the College Republicans of Texas. Yeah. So what did you do at Trinity other than um, make people mad? Gosh, we hosted Mylianopolis, hosted Dr. Which Ryan made people Anderson. mad, yes. Oh, yeah, that made people mad. We had some... No, it actually didn't make people that mad. I think a lot of people didn't really know what to do with it. Hosted Dinesh D'Souza. That might have made people more mad. No, Dr. Ryan Anderson probably made people the most mad. We had about 150-person auditorium for that event. He talked about Islam, right? No, no. He talked about um, religious liberty. He talked, oh, that's tried, right. Yeah. He tried to talk about religious liberty. We had about 150-person auditorium. Um, 145, we sold out the entire room. About 145 of them were decked out in rainbows. The other five were from a book club. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that's nice. Yeah, no, the, the book clubs kind of, now do activism yeah. on the side? <laughs> no, no, it was just like five people who heard about the event and they read his books and like, you know what, we're going to show up to this. So they showed up. Gotcha. It's like five, six-year-old old people. It's and the people cool. in rainbow flags were Christians excited about the uh, God's promise. Um, I think they were gays for Trump. For Trump. No, of course. No. These people are mad. I remember one individual uh, at, at an event um, who was who dressed up Oh, as... Christopher. You should do a that podcast was a fun... with him. <laughs> you should do a podcast that with him. That was a fun time. Just for the record, the Ryan Anderson lecture was held a week after the election of Donald Trump. Yeah, it was a very, uh, it was great very sensitive time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... When you're, so you're now involved with the Texas Federation of College Republicans. Mm-hmm. How are you trying to expand that model that you had at Trinity? Uh, okay, so what we're doing right now is, because it's a summer, you can't really do on-campus activism. So what we've been doing is graph searching to identify new chapter chairs in new areas where we haven't previously had chapters. Like the South region, we've gone from zero schools my fresh spring of my freshman year in the South region to now nine or ten thanks to my brother and I's leadership in the South region. <laughs> Otherwise, um, we are trying to give them access to speakers and tabling kits so they can go out on their campus and be as active as we were at Trinity. Um, also trying to do partnerships and hopefully get some Young America's Foundation speakers to go speak to the college, to go speak on campuses where we have college Republican um, strongholds. A big focus for me um, as a South region vice chair for college Republicans is to help spread the torch of freedom and liberty because oftentimes we focus too much on our own campus and we often think that the only thing that matters is our campus instead of thinking about our community as college students. 
And so a big thing for me has been advancing the college Republican message and the conservative message and sometimes the liberty message onto campuses that do not have an organized um, movement for either. And what's big, what I've noticed is that a lot of people just don't know how to get involved. And they're like these uh, unlit torches with fuel ready to burn. You just have to find them and get, get them a flame, get them a spark, and then they can light their campus. Sounds like William F. Buckley there. Once they become lit. Yes, people right. have to become lit. The more yeah. lit people lit. they are, the <laughs> that's, more lit that's people your we have, the better. To get more people <laughs> lit. Well, very good. Um, so, I, I mean, we're, we've known each other for a while. Uh, we first met... Two years, maybe? Two years. ISI we first Christmas. met at a... Was it... It was, was ISI. It was in October, I believe. ISI, a fall event here mm-hmm. in Fort Worth. Yeah. 2015, um, I believe. I believe we, Stephen was the first person I ever talked to at a conservative event. I'm not I thought 100% he drove a, sure. I thought he drove a Prius really? when I was first Was that one of your first events? Yeah, that was, was the first event as a college conservative oh I'd gosh, ever been to. And I was yeah. the first one. Yeah, I, when I first met Stephen, I, he felt, sounded really interesting. He sounded like a guy who wrote for NPR and drove a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> and this was at an ISI convention where everyone at ISI, if you attend an ISI event, you've read all the great books, you know everything. You know virtue, you know freedom. I showed up as a freshman who never read any of that and was just drowning the entire time. Yeah, I was the same way. I I had, I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, like an intellectual on the level of ISI people, and and that's definitely a different pace of conference, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah I made the. I made... Those who don't know, ISI is the Intercollegiate Studies Institute. It was founded by William F. Buckley as the um, individ- intercollegiate individualist or something like that. Mm-hmm. Back in the 50s or 60s, and it's very much one of those intellectual conservative groups where you drink wine, drink beer, and smoke cigars in the back porch while discussing the fun Oh, there's ideas. plenty of wine, yeah. Oh, yes, there is. Yeah, That's this... why I yelled at you that night about Ben Carson. Well, not yell. We, we had a spirited discussion about <laughs> oh, yeah. Ben Carson. It was at this conference that I made the mistake of engaging uh, Stephen Perkins about the Iraq War. <laughs> And, uh, the I don't United remember States, that. What, what happened there? We were talking about the United States' influence in the Middle East and whether we should take care of it or Russia. Oh, and um, I think I came off on the worst end of the uh, engagement. I, Only slightly. I, I, do, I can't tell you what I even said there. All and I remember I, I may is not apparently Stephen Perkins is a Mitt Romney fan. I, I am a Mitt Romney <laughs> fan, yeah. And I yeah. Just, what would Romney do? Stephen right? was one of the most confusing characters in the conservative movement when I first joined it because... Um, it was in the fall going into the primaries and we had 17 Republican candidates and you'd go to these conservative events and you have someone from all 17 camps there except for Gilmore who shared a phone number. That was a fun prank call. But um, I show up and everyone's always talking about like which, what camp they're in, who they support, who they have been supporting, who they just switched to. And this is, I was working for Ben Carson. We were riding the wave. We were in number two, number one in the polls. And I talked to Steven about Ben Carson and he goes, I don't like any of them. I'm a Mitt Romney person. And for me at the time, that was one of the most confusing things ever because I thought, we have 17 candidates. One of them has got to appeal to you. But no, he's a Mitt Romney man. I mean, practically, I did like, uh, I did like, um, practically, I like Rand Paul. But, you know. Well, we all like Rand Paul. He had no chance of winning. Mitt Romney did. The pragmatism of libertarianism just keeps falling apart. Well, we can go. <laughs> Speaking of which, later this week I'm hosting the Liberty, Caleb Francis show, um, and I, I get to. I feel like I should intro myself as a Romney libertarian because I would love to know how his audience his audience reacts to that. I mean, if your goal is just to confuse people, that was also one of the most confusing things about meeting Stephen. 
Yeah. It's quite a confusing person. So He's I, a gem. <laughs> let's talk about how you got to this point. Um, I know your parents, but for the sake of, of people listening, all three of them, um, <laughs> did you come from a political family who were involved in politics or vocal about politics? What did that look like? Uh, not at all. Not at all. They barely taught. They I didn't know what my parents' political beliefs were until I went out there and started doing stuff. Mm. Um, our dad's family's from uh, the Midwest, from Wisconsin specifically. And growing up, it was always very much a... Um, before the cons- intellectual conservative movement started in 1940, around 1945, according to George Nash, being, being organized, uh, the spirit of conservatism had always really just been in the heartland of America. It was the heartbeat of, that kept middle America going was conservatism. And there'd always been this feeling in our family of like that heartbeat of conservatism. You didn't know what it was. You just know that there's certain institutions that you're a part of and that there's a larger community and that you're working for the betterment of your family and other things like that. And you did, this was, that was just the way things were. And then we went out there and we were, we were a family that always watched Fox News. That was what we listened to. We always grew up knowing abortion is wrong. There are certain ways to live your life virtuously. And that our parents want to raise us to the best of our ability. And we, st- we realized that America needs help and needs all it takes for evil to prosper is for a few good men to do nothing. And we realized that we want to be a group of that few good men. And so we decided to step up and we joined the Ben Carson Sewer Pack thinking that it was the actual campaign because that was, <laughs> if anyone was involved in politics during the primary, you know how confusing it was between what's the difference between a sewer pack, what's the difference between sure. a uh, actual campaign. Yeah. And it just really took off from there. I, I remember the, the moment at CPAC uh, when you were there for the pack. Oh, yeah. That was me. And, uh, and we found out that Ben Carson would be dropping out. Oh, and I found out Ben Carson. That was a very interesting moment of my life. Yeah. I got off the plane, checked my phone, saw, oh, Ben Carson's dropping out. I got to my hotel. I was unable to check in because I was only 18 years old. So I walked across the street and stuffed my face at a Chinese buffet. <laughs> Which is what one With does. tears strolling down my face and sure. eating as much like ice cream pops as I could find because I was sad. I also got into a Twitter beef with a reporter and then got told <laughs> by my boss, hey, don't do that. To which I solemnly said, okay, sir, you're right. Knowing inside of my heart that I didn't really matter because Carson was dropping out. I didn't get to go to CPAC, but I was in my bed eating a mint chocolate chip ice cream shake. That was pretty sad. Because of the news or just during that news? Oh, because happening. of the news. Because oh, okay, of the news. It was yeah. his daily mint chocolate chip shake. <laughs> right. so happened over it was interrupted by, the, by breaking news, for sure. Uh, well, I, I think it's interesting you say, you know, a few good men, great movie. But also, you know, that's the quote that we use um, at outset to describe what we do um, of if you keep quiet then then that's gonna that allows evil to prosper um you guys are starting a new publication we are we are um convince me that it's not competition um <laughs> we would never ever dream of competing with stephen perkins if it ever turned it, into a competition it's outset it, 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 it's, you know. it, it is very similar to outset but i think it'll be more conservative than outset i want to focus more on policy and on campus news and kind of stay out of outset's lane because the last we, thing we know I better. want to do is end up with like Stephen Perkins in my front yard at 2 a.m. north of Chainsaw King saying, come out, come out wherever you are. But I'm in bed at 2. I don't stay <laughs> up that late, no. 
No, but I we could potentially be competitors. But I, if we do compete, I hope it's one of those friendly competitions where we're on each other's podcast every other week. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Talking about how we're gonna become better, and I think that it's one of those things where we can work together to build the best products we can to advance our movement. I don't foresee this being. If it does take off, I don't foresee it being any sort of hostile, ta- like hostile relationship where we're constantly poaching writers from each other. Well, I didn't bring you here to like defend it. I was <laughs> like, what's well, the, what's the premise yeah. of so it? So the premise of it is getting young conservative libertarian writers a platform. So it sounds like Outset Magazine, <laughs> but it's gonna hopefully focus more on like policy. We'll get some kids who are interested in talking about policies, whether that's criminal justice reform, taxes, and get them the ability to write so that they can go into so they can craft their skill and become better and go into eventually go into policy and then maybe focus more on campus news and be sort of an outlet for South Texas where we are, where Mm -hmm. um, Trinity is located. We do have some writers from the community who want to write for it and hopefully can kind of use that to uh, spread conservative values in a place that really needs them in South Texas where a lot of people may be conservative but don't necessarily know that they're actually Republicans as well. I think it's always important to have as many... um opportunities for people to write as possible because there are a million kids in the conservative movement and the job of outset magazine and all these writing outlets and gaff and yell is to act as a filter for helping people become the best advocate for whatever values they want to advocate for and the more the better and obviously we all believe in capitalism so the cream will rise to the top and those will act as filters for helping us figure out who will be the movers and shakers or who will be the intellectuals and the men in the ivory tower 60 years from now so let's talk about that uh, intellectualism within conservatism, because at the moment it's in struggling. the current climate, yeah. it's it, it's not so much struggling. It almost feels as if it's been defeated. Is that your analysis? Intellectualism of it? can never be defeated. I think. Well, I, I don't th- I, I say defeated in the sense that it is not. I really don't see it even peeking out in discussions now. I think the issue we have now is our movement has become so concerned with like those Twitter warriors going on trying to like trigger liberals or just trying to show how dumb the left looks. And rather than craft and working on our own craft and figuring out like why we believe what we believe, we run around screaming whatever we want to to make liberals flip out on Twitter or like go into their trigger warnings and all stuff like that. But we're kind of forgetting what we're here for. I think far too often we're too busy trying to tear down our neighbor's house instead of building our own house. Because the, the I've been reading intellectual conservative stuff over the summer, and it's a very deep um, philosophy for life. And it's one of those things you need to sit down and read about. You can't just run around on Twitter trying to get blocked by people who you don't, just, don't agree with. And then also arguing with people on Twitter at most is going to move one voter over. You need to focus on like the actual deeper meaning and try to understand what is if you were to engage a PhD professor from Harvard who's a progressive, what would their counterpoint be to what you say? And you need to argue with the intellectuals, not with the uh, plebs, as Stephen would say. No, the not peasants. the peasants. <laughs> or, you don't want to argue with their like frontline warrior of the left because the frontline warrior of the left is oftentimes I don't want to stereotype, but oftentimes is capable of one rebuttal. They say they say one catchphrase and then they don't know how to defend anything past that one catchphrase. And I think far too often as conservatives, that's what we're turning into. Yeah. Uh, catchphrase or conservatives? We don't want to be catchphrase conservatives. We want to be have conservatives who can handle Lincoln-Douglas debates. That might be a little um, over the top, but we need to be able to go point-counterpoint, point-counterpoint for a sure. 12-round boxing match instead of just, oh, you're triggered. Yeah. 
and and I'm, we're reading right now outside as a book club uh, oh, because really? we're trying to become more like Oprah. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're reading God and Man at Yale, Buckley's oh, book. Great book. And uh, to read that. and it's a great book because it was written in the '50s, and it still resonates with mm-hmm. what's I think happening on college campuses now. But I, I read that, and and I think you know back then Buckley kind of makes the assumption, at least to me, um, that people in college, even even at a college like his, um, are are very impressionable. Um, like so, so my concern is well, not concern, but my point is, when you start talking about intellectualism and the intellectual case for conservatism, um, there's a lot of people who just can't digest that. Do you, would you say that? Yeah, I'd agree. There's certain like, how do I say? It's this? not the most sexy yeah, topic, right? It's not the sexy topic. It's it's not... why I write articles about politicians wearing dad jeans because I have to break it up. A little oh bit. yeah, and also your hot dog article. Well, that yeah, that was a good one. Classic. <laughs> But yeah, there's just some people who the intellectual arguments work better for. There's some people who want to sit here and have an intellectual debate where there's other people who maybe talking points work better on. I think part of this is you have to figure out what works for each person. For example, if you go into an intellectual debate, obviously you can't have just like four, you can't have your one or two talk conservative talking points. You have to have the 12-round boxing match like Manfred said. But for other people, there's a few things where just maybe one or two phrases, it makes everything in their head click and they switch over. Well, there's also the challenge of you can have those intellectual discussions with other people who are willing to have them. Mm-hmm. But for most people who uh, I would say don't engage with that because politics is not uh, like their whole life mm-hmm. or, or just something that they're that interested in. Then it becomes a question of how do you how do you change minds mm-hmm. on topics where you're not able to break through with an intellectual uh conversation with somebody uh, like that and not that you can't have an intellectual conversation but you're not having a robust debate necessarily as much as you are and this is where catchphrase people on the left and the right would come in and say that's the hook and then we come in and and and, uh, do more work to solidify that Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with your point that this catchphrase conservatism could bring people into the movement like Turning Point USA does a great job with this they do a very great job of this catchphrase conservatism, but once you bring them into the movement, you have to feed them the idea. Educate them. Sure. Education. <laughs> yeah. So it's like getting people in the doors to a school. You get people in the doors by a school by, well, obviously telling them that's compulsory, but first you tell them this will make you a better person. You'll learn these skills. You'll be able to earn more money. But then once you get them into the school, you actually have to teach them. I think that's the challenge with conservative organizations is that it's so they're so split up that you have one that's really good at getting people, the attention of people, you have groups like ISI that are really good at the the deeper philosophy <laughs> and the ideas. You don't really have you don't really have those organizations working together to provide that that robust okay. education. Having a conservative libertarian college movement convergence would be a very interesting situation <laughs> that I don't see happening. Because no, they no. everyone wants to be the king of their own castle. And sure. um, I interned at Texas Public Policy Foundation over the summer. And one of the big sticking points they taught us is that conservatives win when no one cares who gets the credit and when we all work together towards a common goal. That sounds like Outside Magazine. It also would, some would argue, it goes against this conservative idea. And I would say that they've identified it wrong, but the idea of individualism and everybody should have their own piece of the pie and, mm-hmm. and the competition should be high there. Yeah. But I think there's certainly, there's a necessity for collaboration mm-hmm that in my mind trumps the rest of that. 
Yeah, like one thing the conservatives have to digest is this idea of like the family versus the individual, and this idea of the institutions we have in society. How do like the libertarian Anne Rand says the individual is the most important thing in society, whereas the conservative can have I think the conservative has two healthy answers: the family and the individual. And the family could could apply to a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I always ask about book recommendations on the podcast. Um, and there's one right there, Freedom and Virtue. What are some, for someone who wants to get their feet wet, we'll start there, get their feet wet in conservative philosophy, what are the basic tenets? I think, uh, where do they go? Basic tenets, you've got to start with Conscience of a Conservative by Goldwater. That's mm, kind of what kicks, that's what kickstarted the movement and awakened the heart of middle America. Um, that's a good way to get your feet wet. It's a bit of a hard book to get through. It's only 125 pages, if I remember correctly, from my version. Uh, some of it's a bit dated because it's from the 60s. So mm-hmm. he talks about like farm subsidies and stuff. But if you can apply farm subsidies to a lot of different things. It's one of those things that gets you thinking into the conservative mindset. That's what I'd start with. And did then, we not have a, a discussion about farm subsidies in an event that y'all had? Oh, yes, we did. That so, um, diversity someone, panel. Someone and, kept asking yeah. about, well, what do you think about Alexander subsidies? Alexander Perkowski asked about farm subsidies. Like, oh, my gosh. That's, <laughs> Alex, that's I hope why you're listening. I was brought here. That was so bad. No, but a book I would recommend and a book that really got me started was, honestly, Glenn Beck, his In Inconvenient <laughs> Book, which was mm. the satire of... That was one of the first I read. Yeah, Al Gore's <laughs> In Inconvenient Truth. Um, so Glenn Beck satired out with An Inconvenient Book, and he kind of lays out this fundamental libertarian and conservative beliefs and it's got like these cool pictures it's really easy to read i read it when i was like in fourth grade of all things that was actually the book i'd read before going to bed yeah i would sit there and i'd look at the pictures and look at how this union hot dog stand is doing worse than the privately run hot dog or the right to work hot dog stand because the union workers keep taking breaks and it just it gets you thinking about the ideas on the basic premise and the basic level with pictures and interactive things where you look at it and really start to think and funny jokes yeah um I would def- definitely recommend starting with the early Glenn Beck. Yeah. Um, also, Glenn uh, Beck's the person who got a lot of people who were in our age group into the conservative movement. Yeah. Um, he's not really what he used to be, but he's still... Like, his early stuff will help you understand, like, what's the point of fighting? Another good book from Glenn Beck's early writings are uh, it is Letters from the Real America. It's a book where he just tells stories about these real Americans who underwent this heartbreaking struggle and came out on top. And he also tells a lot about his own life story, which is quite tragic. Yeah. What, what's a book that you would most often give to someone else as a gift? Um, the book I've given away most is Dear, um, excuse me, Professor from Young America's Foundation. I think okay. it was a partnership between Young America's Foundation and then Jeffrey Tucker at Fee. Or I love him. One of the other, um, one of the other people who works at Fee. But yeah, excuse me, Professor. It gives about 45 different arguments for conservative or libertarian ideas and essentially lays out like what the liberal argument is and how it's wrong and how to debate it it's a very good book you can get a free copy from young america's foundation or if you email me i'll send you a copy i have like 15 of them at my house i've turned down this book so many times but somehow it keeps popping up my bookshelf but i've given it away about four or five times and it's a very good primer i go back and forth on whether um, conservative and libertarian intellectual thought should be an inverted pyramid or a tree with an inverted pyramid, be <laughs> starting explain. with like the baseline, and then you start with the inverted pyramid. You have the baseline, then you have the more ideologues, and then you start reading the actual like. For with, conserv- with conservatives, would be like Buckley and mm. Kirk and Burke, and with libertarians, would be like Rothbard. I go back and forth between that version and like the tree, where you have like the basics are this are the basics 
are the trunk and then the roots are the intellectuals and then the leaves are the ideologues oh okay interesting i go back and forth and i'm having difficulty counting up with like what should be the what's the middle between consciousness and conservative and then just straight up reading kirk and burke uh, do we want to like do you want to go with an ideologues where it's kind of a like sh- uh, cloudy mirror of burke and kirk trying to explain to people who just know the basics or do you want to read like um, I'm, I'm having difficulty trying to come up with what's the middle, what's the second move between conscious of a conservative and Burke and Kirk. Gotcha. We'll so go, where, where to go from Goldwater? Something the Republicans had to do. We'll, we'll follow up on that. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was certainly something they had to think about for a couple of decades. Um, all right. So issues that come up into the future. What do you think are going to be some of our generations? <laughs> defining issues within the next you know few decades and beyond i think defining issues we're going to see privacy is definitely going to be one everyone now has their own encrypted apps for communications when the government shows up to try to look at your text messages when a crime is committed but we wouldn't obviously be ever be in the situation but one of the issues now that we're facing is encrypted technology and should the government be able to go in there and decode it so i think there's definitely gonna be a lot of fourth amendment issues coming up for us well, just with the way technology is advancing and how some would say we need to change the Constitution to reflect the change in technology, whereas other people would say we don't. Um, so Fourth Amendment is definitely going to be an issue moving forward. I think what's going to be interesting over the next 30 to 40 years is what issues we win on, what issues we lose on. For example, abortion is an issue we lost in Roe vs. Wade, but we kept fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think we're pretty close to turning the corner. I've heard a couple of pro-life people say we're 10 or 20 years away from overturning Roe. So I think that's something we can definitely look forward to winning if we keep up the pressure and keep doing what we're doing and science keeps on pointing in the right direction. But well, I think uh, even on, on that issue, that's something that the Supreme Court has a ruling about mm-hmm. in a row, but culturally people mm-hmm. have become over the past decade or so mm-hmm. more pro-life. Mm-hmm. And so culturally we're winning on that. And then yeah. also um, what's going to be interesting is how far does rideshare and the sharing economy go? Mm. Because at the fir- I think at the first ISI conference I went to, they talked about this is when we didn't know there was going to be a Republican president. We were trying to figure out how do we beat back progressives. And the idea that they came up with was find a monopoly in the economy and destroy it. And mm. they looked at the taxi cartel, basically, where everyone remembers being a kid and like riding in a taxi and watching that meter go faster than you can count. And now we're in Uber and Lyft where I could ride from my uh, work to my apartment with a $5 off coupon for like a quarter. And so I think we need to look at what economic monopolies are we going to break up? Because even the most progressive liberal who isn't getting paid by the taxi companies is like, yeah, I'm cool with Uber and Lyft. That was one of my favorite conversations with the professor. She was like, yeah, I don't, I use taxis because I like unions. And I was like, I use Uber and Lyft because I enjoy eating. <laughs> I like having more money. Imagine yeah, it'll, that. Be, it'll be interesting because I think we're de- we're definitely winning on economic issues because you're seeing that just like communism collapsed a generation ago or two generations ago at this point while we're getting old, that socialism <laughs> is starting to collapse with Venezuela because let's remember all of our... To- I don't think enough people are, are people watching that. Just, I really because the same are. argument is, oh, America's mm-hmm. better. We can do it better. I, I mm-hmm. For economic issues, I have a hard time with that because people think... You know, when Austin threw out Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. how good on Austin. Like, that was certainly something that... And you had other companies that came in and filled the space, but mm-hmm. I'm not as convinced that people, especially when you look at economic justice and kind of equality mm-hmm. there, people are still fighting pretty hard on that. 
Well, I think what we really need to do is we need California to keep on Californianizing, <laughs> pass that um, universal health care bill, and send all their uh, jobs to Texas. Oh, no, I think one no, thing. No, I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> well, <laughs> too many are coming here. Well, one Stop thing as Texans that we need to worry about is the incoming refugee crisis from blue states. Because if California continues at its current state, that thing could de- that's going to turn into a refugee crisis. We're going to have to come together with a system for that. I think sponsorships. Sponsorships of yeah. California families? Yeah, sponsorships of California families. If they have jobs, they can come in. Or family members, maybe. Interesting. We'll to figure okay. out how that system's going to work when California collapses. <laughs> so that's the future que- the I question. I feel like that clip's going to age really well. I right, hope that yeah. clip gets shown on like CNN. And I'm like, oh, Jonah Lynch, you, were, you could foresee the future. No, but another issue we're going to face is I think it's paid family leave. Mm. Is that going? To, is that going to be something the capitalism in our capitalist society naturally evolves to, realizing the benefits of it, or is it going to be something the government has to shove down our throats? I'm already seeing uh, companies able to uh, uh, to adapt that without <laughs> government involvement. Just funny how that works. Yeah, it's funny how we kind of fix problems without the government forcing us to fix problems. But I don't know. It's always nice to keep the government middleman out of uh, economic entities because that. Cuts out someone taking a slice of the pie. Yeah. All right. Uh, final question. Then I have a gift. Um, uh, final question is: if, if you had, uh, if you had a big billboard or a Super Bowl ad or, you know, something where you get a lot of eyes, what is the brief message that you'd want to send to people? Ooh. Yeah, it's a tough. Vote one. Ben Carson. Oh my God. <laughs> Ben Carson, twenty twenty. I would get a big billboard just to remind people of what we could have had. Wait, so just real quick, I want I want, <laughs> I want to go down that rabbit hole. Why? Why? Because I know we've talked about this a little bit, but I probably wasn't listening. Why? Why Ben Carson? What was the big appeal there? Um, I think he understood why, or he understood government service. He wasn't in it for himself. He wasn't in it to make more money. He wasn't in it to increase his name recognition. He ran for president because he felt like God told him to run for president, and because he, if. So elected to run for pre- if elected to be president, he would have been the civil statesman that our founders had always wanted. He didn't go into government as a career. He went. Out, he was successful in the private sector and said, "You know what? I'll run for president to help people, and that's why I'm running." Gotcha. Same for you. Then I love his family story, and then, um, like as you could tell, he was more interested in human flourishing and making the world a better place than he was in the acquisition of political power, mm. which I think is a really important trait in people because far too often people get into politics simply so they can be powerful and have old people come up and shake their hands at political gatherings just so the old person can be seen with a young person. And I think that's one of the things that people need to think about is if you want to do politics, you need to think about, am I doing this because I want to make the world a better place and I actually care about my fellow man? Or am I doing this because I want the title, I want the power, I want the eyeballs looking at me when I walk into a room? And if you answer, you need to think about how you answer that question and why you're doing what you're doing and if you're actually doing doing this for the right reasons. Yeah, it's like Ben Carson was the Aristotle candidate. Aristotle, didn't Aristotle, was there Aristotle or Plato that said as soon as you want to be a politician, you probably shouldn't be one? I can't tell you the answer to that. Oh, somebody out there knows. The ISI people would know. Please Google that if you're Please uh, Google Chester that if you're, if you're listening to this. If anyone from ISI is listening, please email me the actual answer. But no, Carson wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for every other person in the world but himself. That's fair. I, um, yeah, that, I will give you that. I will give you that. For my uh, first 30... Versus Mitt Romney. No. I'm, that's what I'm saying. He was in it for everybody else. For my 30-second ad, I'd probably go with um, showcasing Jay Budzhevsky's uh, natural law conservatism. 
because I think that's You're natural. Have to expand on that. <laughs> I don't think anyone naturally gets that here. Because <laughs> I think natural law conservatism is a very, um, it's it's definitely a thick stake ideologically, but it's a good way to get people to understand the transcendent moral order that a lot of people already feel in their hearts. There's a lot of food references with uh, Hayden, if you haven't noticed yet. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's fun. Well, very cool. My gift to you. And this only happens when I get to record in person. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I regret. Actually, the only I think I've only done it once, and I usually do regret it, or I did regret it. Uh, I'm going to let you tweet anything from my account. Now, <laughs> now, here's the rules, because I'm not, I don't get to delete it ever. But I, I place it, and I'm sure this will be a problem. But you cannot tweet anything uh, racist, sexist, certainly homophobic, uh, <laughs> uh, or anything that would you know likely get me fired from the job that I have or yeah. may one day have. Now, so is this, is this a thing? Where uh, is this a twin gift where we get one? Yeah. Total? So you get to, you get okay, to, so uh, to come up gift. with it. You get half I, feel yeah. I feel twinophobia. Yeah. And I don't and I don't get to delete it. So y'all can y'all can. Uh, Y'all can work on something together and, and send it. Um, the thing is, though, is I've actually been thinking about this. this. Is what I think about when I lay awake at night. Is what would I tweet if I was Stephen Perry and just <laughs> dangerously embarrass him? Uh, what? Oh boy! See, this is why I regret it. But should we go with this right. one? And then you don't even have to show me. Just so you could just hit send. <laughs> um, this it needs is, to be something to do with Mitt. Ah, uh, this is the probably worst are you idea. proud of me yet? Oh, worst idea. <laughs> I notice I type in at M. The first thing that pops up is Mitt Romney. How? Well, yeah. Of course. I tweet him all the time. Did he ever reply to your Christmas cards? No, he's never. I've sent Christmas cards the past two years and he hasn't done it. How about just purchase my brand new Prius at Mitt Romney? Do you love me yet, Dad? (laughs) Good Lord. While while you're typing that, where can people find you on social media? My Twitter is... I don't really tweet that much. I kind of retweet more stuff. My... Thoughts are more. I, I've been thinking a lot about like the whole information issue and how we don't really know enough to really talk about things. Just mm. like there's so much information in the world, and each person only has so little that I'm kind of more Hard hesitant. To to put, it's I'm hesitant to put my own opinions out there just because I don't feel like I have enough information. Sure. And so I tend to be more of one of those people who kind of retweets and shares articles with like cool clothes. So I think really encompasses the media. with you if they wanted to chat. His phone number is eight one seven. You wanted to chat my Twitter is I'm gonna send it without looking at it. Alright, there we go. Go ahead. Um gotta pull it up. You can find me on Facebook, uh Jonah Went. The big dorky white kid is the one you're looking for. On Twitter it's at Jonah underscore went at J O N A H underscore W E N D T. Um, my bio is Trinity University opinions are mine should be yours having a party in the cave just to mess with those ISI people and employed by the US government longer than Scaramucci oh why did you wow. get why did you get rid of the uh, expert on feminism part oh I was an expert on feminism for a while with my Twitter bio but <laughs> I took that off I didn't get I, nobody really told me it was funny oh. I think some people thought I was serious people don't really react to Twitter bios I found yeah. my Twitter is at uh, went Manfred on Facebook it's Manfred Wentz I'm wearing an eagle mask with a uh, American flag in the background because that was my uh, picture for the US for the Summer Olympics and also for the gold cup which the United States won um, and you you were uh, congratulations on your bronze by the way 
<laughs> you were a pole vaulter. Congrats. Yeah, my um, stick snapped in the last run, or else I would have gotten gold. But yeah, I, I get it. It happens. All right. So, so the tweet. <laughs> the tweet is just purchased my brand new Prius. At Mitt Romney would be so proud of me. Do you love me? It's, it's already gotten uh, or gotten one like from uh, or no, it hasn't yet. Okay, cool, great. I'll fix that. Um, I'll fix that. So. So yeah, th- thank you guys for coming on the show. I know that this has been a while in the making and finally got you here to Arlington to, to do it. This has been my bucket list ever since I found it's out that he a, had a radio show. There you go. You it's can always die now. a pleasure to work with Stephen Perkins except in Arlington oh, City. You need to move. I, I am I am moving. Okay. I mean, I haven't DFW really talked gets about better again, the but... farther west you go. Yeah, you definitely need to move oh, west. Fort, yeah. Fort Worth is a great city. Well, Dallas... as I've told you, I'm thinking about moving east and north. So yeah. Stephen might have big moves coming up. Well, oh, as he prepares <laughs> to move to a state, here's a spoiler: state income tax. Uh, yeah, it's, dun, dun, dun. Uh, as the libertarians would say, uh, state theft. Uh, income theft. Um, so, anyways, th- thank you all for listening. You can find me on social media at Stephen underscore Perkins on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com/slash Stephen Perkins, and the Outset Network at Outset Network on <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and you could you could look at the wind if you want. But uh, thanks so much for listening. Until next week, take care. God bless. Mm-hmm.